We all want to be part of something bigger than ourselves, something that both started before us and reaches beyond us. This summer, we look to the entire Bible to see God's mission in the world and how He calls His people to join Him in it. As we as a church look to beginning a new congregation, we turn towards the scriptures to see how God moves us out on mission. Join us this summer for a missional conversation. All right, kids ages three through pre-K can head down to Holy Cross Kids Worship. The rest of you, I invite you to turn uh, in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to the book of Jonah. It's in the Old Testament. It's one of those minor prophets. That's a little harder to find. Uh, Go past Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Lamentations, and you'll start keep flipping to the right. If you get to Micah, you've gone too far. All right. Um, while you're doing that, let me just say a couple things because, like, two thirds of you were not here when I stood up here at the beginning of the service, which is not abnormal. It just is what it is. If you're um, if you're here for like the first time, or maybe maybe you're coming into church and you haven't been in a church ever. Or maybe you're coming in and you just haven't been in a really long time. Like church is a newish thing or, or you're getting back to it after, you know, uh, high school. Um, when your parents stopped making you go. Let me encourage you with this. Uh, church is a lot more than what happens here on Sunday morning. As a matter of fact, if you want to investigate the claims of Jesus and, and the beliefs of Christianity... Being in here is great, and you're gonna, it's gonna, uh, our, my hope is that we can help you do that. But in addition to that, I would invite you to, to uh, come and just try it on for a little bit. Come be a part of this church for a little while. You can do that through our small groups. There's a listing of those in our bulletin. Um, there's going to be a dinner in October that we call the Discover Dinner. It's a time for us to, to just kind of show hospitality to you and welcome you in and talk to you a little bit about the story of this church, why we're here, why we're doing what we're doing, what we hope to be, what we aspire to be. Um, and, and so just, I'd love to find a way to connect you uh, into the life of this church, even if it's just for a season so that you can check things out. Because the best way to, to investigate the claims of Jesus is to be among his people. Uh, theologian Leslie Newbegin said that the church is the, the plausibility structure for the gospel. What he meant by that is that what we say only makes sense when you see other people live it. And, and I, I firmly believe that the people in this church, our members, our regular tenors, they live it. I think you'll learn something and, and, and see, um, see more of Jesus by spending time with them. So, hey, if you have your place in Jonah, let me remind us what we're doing. So, uh, we're in the last two weeks of our summer series called Missional Conversations. On September 11th, which is a date we call Friendship Sunday, if that's unfamiliar to you, don't worry about it. Uh, but on that date, we'll start a new series that we're doing on the Apostles' Creed called This I Believe. It kind of goes through the different aspects of the Apostles' Creed. I'm really looking forward to that. If you're, if you're curious about the absolute core of Christianity and how we understand the teaching of the Bible, that's going to be great for you because it kind of sums up a lot of those teachings. Um, It'll also be great if you want to hear more about the truths we confess like several times a month. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully you can join us for that. These last two weeks, though, we're covering, we've been talking about mission and the mission of the Bible, the mission of God. And these last two weeks, we look at where that mission comes from and where it's heading towards. Where it comes from, the heart of God, and where it's heading, the new creation. Today we look at the heart of mission, where this grand mission comes from. What we're going to find is it's stemming from the unbelievable compassion of God. So if you have your place, we're in Jonah chapter 4. If you'd stand in honor of God's word. If you don't have a Bible, it's in your order of worship. Just kind of have out in front of you as we read. Because this is God's word and it was given to us so that he might reveal himself to us 
and indeed might even reveal him, us to us. So let's hear the word of God. I'll start in chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But he displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my own country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? But Jonah went out of the city, and he sat to the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there, and he sat... He sat under it in the shade till he should see what, the, what should become of the city. And now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is God's word given for our flourishing. Would you pray with me? Lord, uh, we're coming into this place with lots of different stories. Some of us are excited to hear what you'd have for us today. Others of us are already checking our watches, seeing when this thing is over. I pray that you would be near to us, to meet us right where we are, that you'd speak your gospel to us. Whether we are investigating the claims of Christ or have been Christians for a long time, we all need the gospel. And so I pray that you would let the gospel go deep into our hearts. Uh, Let the one who speaks and all of his faults fall to the wayside. Let only Jesus, his cross, his resurrection, his perfect life come to the fore. Speak to us, Lord, for you alone hold the words of eternal life. So we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat, please. So, um, illustrated children's Bibles are a wonderful and tragic thing. Uh, they, they take particularly colorful and well-known Bible stories. They frame them for small children. The, most, the, the problem with most of these is that they, do, uh, they, they, they try and clean them up to such an extent that they end up being false. Uh, they're just not even close to what the Bible actually says. They change the story. Um, my favorites in this way are the stories about like Samson and Gideon. And Jonah. By the way, if, if, if you're a parent and you're looking for a great children's Bible, um, the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones is a fantastic Bible. If you're an adult and you just want a crash course on how to read the entire Bible from the lens of Jesus, the Jesus Storybook Bible is a great read. You will not be disappointed. Anyway, I digress. But anyway, Jonah, all right? We always see Jonah. Here's what Jonah is portrayed in the children's Bibles is he always, he hears from God. He's very pious. He hears from God. He goes away from God. Um, and, and then, um, you know, 
ends up running away. God, you know, gives him a storm. He ends up in the belly of a fish, piously prays while he's in there. And then, and then afterwards, joyfully doing what God asked him to do in the first place. Here's the problem with that. Only the first part of that is true. The part where Jonah ran away. The rest of that is just cleaned up junk. This is one of those stories where we think the point of the story is the main character. We think the point of the story is Jonah, and the point of the book of Jonah is not Jonah at all. The story isn't ultimately about Jonah. It's about God, and it's about us. It's about God's heart, and it leaves us with a question about where our heart is. If this is where God's heart is, where is our heart? And so that's where we're going to look at this this morning. Uh, We're going to look at this in three ways. As always, if you're visiting with us, we keep an outline in the, in the bulletin in case you want to use it if you're a note taker. If you don't, just leave it. But we're going to look at three points. We're going to look at a prophet, we're going to look at a parable, and we're going to look at a plea. A prophet, a parable, and a plea. Really easy. All P's. You could, maybe you can remember that. All right? And here's what we're going to see. That the heart of mission is the incredible compassion of God. The heart from which mission springs is the incredible compassion of God. Okay, let's start with the prophet. Now, this is the last chapter of Jonah, and since most of us probably have uh, the only experience of the book of Jonah comes from children's Bibles, let me catch us up as to what this is about. Okay, so let me go back. About a thousand years before Jesus was born, the nation of Israel was a united kingdom under one king. His name was David. Maybe you've heard of him. He had a slingshot, uh, killed, a, killed a giant named Goliath. It was, he was pretty cool. He had a son named Solomon. Solomon was a really wise dude. Uh, Solomon succeeded him. Now, David had a lot of sons, but Solomon was the one who succeeded him. Solomon had a son by the name of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was an arrogant cuss. And, and things went badly for him. So because Rehoboam made some really unwise decisions, and because his father had strayed away from the Lord, God uh, split the kingdom of Israel in half. The northern tribes, uh, ten of them in fact, became what was called Israel, and they had their capital in a city called Samaria. Okay? The southern two, which would be uh, Judah and Benjamin, they had their... Uh, their nation that was called Judah, and their capital was in Jerusalem, and they were still under the line of David. The northern kingdom, those ten tribes, went away from God almost immediately. Like, literally, from the start. The, the new king of Israel decided, here's what I'll do to keep people from going to Jerusalem to worship. I'll make two golden calves, because that always goes well in the, in the history of Israel. I'll make two golden calves, and everyone can worship them on one mountain or the other. Okay, And so it went really bad. And God began sending them prophets to draw them back to him. One of those prophets, in the latter part of the 8th century B.C., okay, 700s, late 700s B.C., was this dude by the name of Jonah. Jonah. In Jonah's day, the big bad on the world scene was an empire called Assyria. If if you want to think about, if you were a child of the 80s or were around in the 80s, you know, I know that at that point I'm beginning to date myself at that point, but you remember that like in our national consciousness, in our movies, in our literature, the big bad was the Soviet Union, right? And they were considered the worst of the worst, and everything that came out of there was evil, and they all used steroids, and Rocky beat them. Like, that was what we knew about the Soviet Union, right? Um, In Jonah's day, it would have been Assyria. They were, like, considered the worst of the worst. They were militaristic, they were wicked, uh, and generally they hated God, right? Their capital was a city called Nineveh. And here's where the story gets good. 
God calls Jonah, one of his prophets who had been preaching to his people, he calls Jonah to go and preach the need for repentance, not to Israel, but to Nineveh. Think about that. You're a part of this weak and vulnerable people. You're not a world power. You're barely even a regional power. You're just lucky to have a boundary. And God asks you to go preach repentance to the great Satan. Those people that really should be judged. Those people that really should be destroyed. And he wants you to go preach to them so that they won't be. Hmm. Probably not high on your list, right? Well, it wasn't on Jonah's either, which is why he read. He flanned. He read and flanned. He ran and fled, okay? Uh, he, he ran and fled to a city called Tarshish, which, if you're looking at geographically, is as far from Nineveh as you could get. He went the exact opposite direction. So he goes in the opposite direction. He tries to run, but you can't run from God. And so Jonah ends up trying to kill himself. You're like, wait, wait, where's that in the story, Rick? It's when he wants to be thrown into the sea in the middle of a hurricane. Like, I didn't realize that's what he was doing. Why do you think he asked God multiple times in this passage, would you kill me? He's like, I ain't doing it. If I can't run from you, I'm drowning. And so they throw him in the sea, but God rescues him by having a fish swallow him. And then thinks so highly of the prayer that Jonah prays while in him, the, 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 the writer of the book of Jonah says that Jonah gets, after the prayer, he gets vomited out of the fish onto dry land. Okay? And then God tells him to go again. And so Jonah goes. But he ain't happy about it. And he goes and he preaches in Nineveh. He walks around Nineveh and he preaches this winsome message. Forty days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Like, that's great. I mean, if you're looking to see people come to Jesus, that's what you want to preach, right? And now, the, what happens is the unthinkable. People repent. Now, what that doesn't mean is that all of Nineveh became worshipers of God. That we're not told that. As a matter of fact, we know that historically to not be the case. That's not the kind of repentance that happens. But they do humble themselves. And God relents. Which, as an aside, for those of us who tend towards the more religious side of the spectrum, really needs to strike at our view of God. Because most of us try to treat God as if he's just waiting for an opportunity to squish us. And here is the most wicked nation in the world, at least in the biblical worldview at the time, in which they kind of repented. They gave enough repentance for God to say, look, I was just looking for a reason to have mercy. It's a little bit different in that. But that brings us to our passage. Jonah has just seen what's happened. God has said, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. Now look at verses 1 to 5 in chapter 4. We see Jonah's resistance. Verse 1 says it displeased Jonah exceedingly. The, the Hebrew that this was written in literally says that he eviled a great evil, which is a big way of saying like he was really, really upset. And he's angry. Well, what is he angry about? He's angry that Nineveh repented. That's not the way it was supposed to happen. That's not what he wanted. He's angry at their repentance. And then he prays this very godly prayer. Look down at verse 2. He's like, God, this is why I didn't want to come here. I told you this was going to happen. I knew about you. You're all merciful and stuff. I didn't want to come here. And now it happened. Right? He, he quotes from Exodus 34 where God proclaims his name to Moses. Which tells us that Jonah's resistance to what God was doing wasn't because he didn't know enough. He didn't have, it's not that he didn't have good enough theology. His theology was, bing, it was perfect. It was actually because of his good theology that he didn't want to go do what he was told to do. 
Because he was afraid God was going to actually be who he said he is. Mm. He would actually spare them. Now, let's keep going. This gets better. Jonah then says, God, kill me. It's better for me to die than to see them spared. I love this. Because this totally bursts our bubble about the religiously pious prophet, doesn't it? And then he goes out to the east of the city, finds some shade, and sits down to wait. Now, that can be confusing, so let me explain. If you're reading the Old Testament, some of you have, some of you avoid it like the plague, it's okay, but you should read it. But if you've read the Old Testament, when you see the east come into play, that is generally a a sign for God's judgment. Think, in, in the garden, if you're familiar with that story, Adam and Eve sin and God sends them out to the... East. They go out to the east, right? They're sent east out of the garden. In, um, in the Exodus, when Israel is coming out of Egypt, they come to the Red Sea and God makes a wind blow, but not just any wind. He makes an east wind blow and that blows the water back. The Israelites move through and then the east wind stops to blow and the Egyptians, it goes badly, right? East is the place where judgment is. And if you're living with a desert to your east, that makes a lot of sense, right? Okay. So, So what is Jonah doing? Jonah is holding out hope that God is still going to smite these godless heathens. Now, before we get too hard on poor Jonah, let me remind us about the Assyrians. When the Assyrians conquered a city, they didn't just show up with their envoy and say, Hey, hey guys, uh, we're just going to bring you into our country. We've got some great benefits, uh, good health care. Come on in, like you're now part of us. They, They didn't annex They conquered, they slaughtered the people, they pillaged, they raped, and they had done this to parts of Israel. And so Jonah wants Assyria to be judged, not forgiven. Can you relate? See, we we often don't want people to be rescued by God, because that means that they're going to get out of the judgment that we know that they're due. And they've, they've done some bad stuff. How come they get out? How come they get a pass? And what's behind that is this notion that certain people deserve God's grace, namely people like like us. But others, they don't. I mean, Jonah was fine preaching to religious people, people we'd call church, people who knew the name Yahweh, which was the Old Testament name for God. He was fine preaching to those folks. Maybe, Maybe they knew about God, but they were just a little off track. But the Ninevites... The Ninevites, these were wicked people, violently immoral people, people who God should judge. Do you see this? Listen, my guess is is that nearly everybody in here is exactly where Jonah is if we get pushed. How broken is too broken for you to believe that God should forgive someone's sins? How much sin is too much? How much before we go, okay, well... I'm okay with this group of people coming into my church, but that group? I mean, amazing grace and all, but really? This betrays something, doesn't it? It betrays how we view ourselves. We tend to think that we're savable. God saved us because we're savable. We've forgotten that the Bible says that all of us are hopelessly broken. All of us are hopelessly stuck In our sin, all of us should bear judgment for betraying God. And when we forget that, mission dries up. See, it's so easy to believe that people exist on a spectrum, right? 
And we generally, here in America, we put, like, Hitler on this end of the spectrum, and we put, like, Mother Teresa on this end of the spectrum. And we never claim to be either place, but we're kind of here, and that anyone to uh, my left or your right, that we think, like, okay, they're out. And anyone kind of where we are and this way, we go, either they are rescued by God or they really should be if God were paying attention. The Bible says, though, that we are all in the same boat. And that so long as we continue to think in categories of moral, immoral, we can always grade ourselves on a curve. Because we always have reasons for why we did X or Y. We, we have a reason. See, God, if you just understood, if you just kind of saw it from my perspective, if you, if you kind of knew my story, you would get that why that is really not that bad. I get that it's bad. But it's not that bad. But when we go where the Bible goes, when we see that the categories of people are dependent on God or independent, that spectrum goes away because you can be very independent and very immoral. You can also be very independent and very moral, very distant from God. And so if you stick with where Jonah is, can I tell you something? You're going to be angry. God is merciful. You're going to be angry that sinners get grace that God is unjust and that you aren't getting what you deserve. But that brings us to this parable. Look first at verses 6 to 8, the appointed lesson. So Jonah finds that um, this, this plant springs up, grows really fast, and gives him shade. Now, scholars will tell you this is probably a racinus. I don't know anything about plants, uh, but they say that's where you get castor oil from. The only thing I know about castor oil is what that dude in Stand By Me drank so that when he did the pie eating contest... It didn't go well. Like, that's all I know about that. So, but this is where this plant is. It grows very quickly and it is very fragile. So, this plant springs up, it shades Jonah, shades Jonah and it says that whereas when God relented, he evil to great evil, now he joys a great joy. All right, he's really happy. He's really happy because he gets shade. And then a worm goes at the plant. Like I said, this plant's really fragile. So if a worm starts like literally climbing on this thing, maybe nibbles a little bit, the whole thing dies. And the way I think about that is like, um, I'm a lawn guy, I'm a, I hate weeds. And so if I'm going around my beds and I've got some Roundup, if you ever spray clover with Roundup, like it dies within seconds. And that's, that's basically what this is like. It dies quick. So the plant withers and then an east wind blows. You remember what I said a second ago about the symbolism of east? See, Jonah goes out to the east to wait for judgment to fall on Nineveh. And this crazy thing starts happening. Judgment starts blowing on him. This is great. This is great. So, so Jonah's hot, right? He's, he's, he's a little... If you were with us at Friendship Day yesterday, you know hot, right? It was hot out in the baseball field. You were hot. So Jonah's hot. Let's not miss that. He's hot. And he asks to die. Again. Right Again. So, for the second time in this short passage, Jonah has asked for God to kill him. The first time, it was because God spared notorious sinners. He gave them grace. Now, it's because he's hot. Like, he's hot. All right? And, he, and so, he wants to die. All right? Now, here's the important thing as we move to a revealed heart. God is chasing Jonah. He's chasing him. Just like he chased Nineveh, he chased the notorious sinners, and now he's chasing the really clean moral ones. God is chasing Jonah. Maybe, maybe you've read this story before, you haven't noticed that. Jonah is doing everything, and he's been doing everything since verse 3 in this book. 
to run away from God. And God is chasing him, pursuing him. And he doesn't hear. He does it right here too. So this story isn't just about God chasing down the notorious Ninevites. This is about God chasing down religious rebels like Jonah. God says to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? What that means is, listen, bro, do you have a right to be angry about this? And what does Jonah say? I mean, this, this is a really important question, isn't it? Because what, what God is asking Jonah is what he thinks he is entitled to. What are you do, Jonah? What do you have a right to? Apparently, Jonah believed he had a right to shade. I mean, that makes sense, right? He is God's missionary. He was doing God's will, even if he was doing it reluctantly. He was the one who went on mission. At least, the least that God could do is treat him good for it. But this isn't the first time God asked this question to Jonah, this, do you do well to be angry? He did so in verse 4. But in verse 4, Jonah didn't answer. He didn't answer. He just went away. This time, Jonah does answer, and it's classic. Jonah says, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Now, two things about this. First is the audacity. Right? Here's God asking his, his guy, he's asking him, do you have a right to being angry about this? And Jonah's like, you betcha. You darn right I do. But the second thing is that phrase, angry enough to die. Because Old Testament scholars will tell you that Jonah just cussed out God. That is a Hebrew expletive. He just cussed him out. This is like, this is like that, that scene from A Few Good Men with, uh, you know, he's got, he's got the dude on the stand and he's like, did you order the code red? Uh, did you order the code red? You blank, right I did. Like that's what Jonah just did. You, mm, yeah. Yeah, I am. You best recognize. Like, he's mad. And what this does is reveals Jonah's heart. Not only does he believe that the Ninevites should not get spared, he believes he has a right to the favor of God. He deserves far more than he's getting. They deserve judgment, and he deserves to not be hot. Now, this is so easy to creep into our thinking, especially if, if you're a Christian here this morning, because it happens often without our thinking about it, and when it does, it destroys any movement towards mission. You know how this works, right? I'm sure you've experienced this. God comes into our lives by grace. We come to Jesus. We experience God's mercy and his love, and it's like phenomenal. The Holy Spirit, purely out of grace, begins to change us. We begin to grow in our relationship with God through Jesus. Outward sins in our lives begin changing. We begin to learn the Bible. Maybe we begin to learn some theology. We begin to see sin then as something that we used to deal with. Because God's done all that changing. And suddenly, without us even knowing it, our hearts shift from hungering for God's grace in Jesus to believing that he's pretty lucky to have us. Because I am hot stuff. And then we begin to believe that God owes us. That all the change in our lives is because we did it. Because we worked harder than others. Because we changed and, and cleaned up our act. And God should reward us with what we really want. Comfort and money and power and pleasure. Good relationships. Justice. 
Without us even knowing it, God moved from being the one who we betrayed and who out of pure grace rescued us to a means to our end. And if people could just be good like us, they could be liked by God too. So of course mission dries up. Of course you want to go somewhere else when God says, come over here and preach to these heathens. Go over here and go after the, the wicked and the notorious. And he's like, I, what, are you, what are you talking about? I mean, if you believe that you are the one that made you, like you made you what you are, that your effort, your goodness and responsibility got God to like you, why go to anyone else? Let them figure it out. I mean, you did. That's Jonah. And that's us. Let's finish with a plea. Look at God's pity in verses 10 and 11. God answers, You pity the plant. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Now I'll get to the cattle part. So I know that's weird. We'll, we'll get to that. But let me work through the logic of this and I'm going to get specific. Basically, what God is saying is, you didn't make the plant grow, Jonah. You, weren't even, you didn't even intend its existence. But you're upset about its dying. Okay, now what I love about this is that God is kind of leaving some things unsaid, isn't he? Like all of that, you're darn right I have a right to be angry. Like he, he's, he's not even speaking to the feelings of entitlement that Jonah is expressing. The reason, I think, for that is that he's trying to turn his eyes outward. Listen, if, if you're in this room and, and you tend towards the more religious end of the spectrum, and just the, kind of the way you're wired, when, when we get confronted often with our stuff, when someone actually finally points out, like, hey, bro, like, this is going wrong in your life, our immediate response, because we think we're better than we actually are, normally is shame. And shame is an inward look. It's when we go, it's, it's when our pride is assaulted. Shame is that point in which we have not measured up to the inward image of ourselves. And so God doesn't press that issue with Jonah because all it's going to do is keep his eyes on him. And he wants his eyes turned out. See, the implication that God is saying here is that Jonah cares for a plant that he had nothing to do with. So why shouldn't God care for this great city that he had everything to do with? Now, let me break this down. He calls Nineveh that great city. Um, that's in ancient terms, but it's, it was, it's big, even today. Like, it's like four times bigger than Stanton, which is only a city because we call it a city. But it, it's still, like, 120,000 people is way more populous than ours. And there's 120,000 people who don't know their right from their left. That doesn't mean that they're somehow uh, directionally challenged. What that means is that God is saying that it speaks to our condition. Because that has to do with, like, they don't know which end is up. You see, the Bible tells us, it teaches us, that all of us by nature are independent from God. In other words, we're not neutral. We're not born into the world neutral. We're born with a bent. And Jonah is treating the Ninevites as if they should know better. Why haven't they worked harder like me? Don't they know this is the way you're supposed to be? And God's going, no. They don't know their right from their left. How would they know? God's saying, Jonah, what do you think you're here to do? This is right. This is left. 
But Jonah is forgetting that the only reason he knows any different than they do is because of God's work in his life. See, that's what compassion is all about. You can't have compassion on others if you don't understand that you are just as needy, just as guilty, and just as broken as anyone else is. So here's the center of this argument. Jonah had nothing to do with the plant. God had everything to do with Nineveh. Jonah had pity on his poor castor oil plant. Then shouldn't God have pity on this city? Now the cows. (laughs) Okay. Why does God care about cattle? (laughs) Well, it's not because he has a sweet spot in his heart for big, dumb animals with udders. Uh, It's it's because um, we, we have to remember something. In the ancient world, cattle weren't just food. They were money. Right? Cattle's money. When he talks about a lot of cattle, he's not talking about they have this great livestock thing going on. It's like polyface, but in the ancient world. He's talking about an economy. Here's this great city with huge numbers of people and a thriving economy. Lots of God's images and a booming economy. God cares about souls and structures in a place. Now, let me conclude by talking about God's heart. Because we could talk a ton about this passage. Especially as it comes to God caring about cities, caring about people, caring about structures. If you want to do that, if you want to hear more about that, um, you can just Google Tim Keller on this passage. Because that's like what he talks about. Okay, And it's fantastic. I couldn't even begin to do the same. But we're looking at this particularly from the aspect of God's heart for mission. And I want, the, I want us to get this because it shows how amazing the God of the Bible really is. And some of us here, we we need to be reminded of how amazing God is, even if we've been Christians for a long time. The heart of God is compassionate. Now, don't gloss that over. The heart of God is compassionate. But the Bible tells us that we are the ones who betrayed Him. We turned from Him. We spurned Him when all He did was love us. And we spit in His face. But He didn't destroy us. He chased us. Just like God chased Nineveh, just like he chased Jonah, he chases us. This is, what, this is what Jesus coming and dying was all about. Listen, no matter what your life has looked like, what it's looked like, because some of us in this room, our lives have looked real pretty. We've got some stuff going on in the background. We don't like to tell people. We know it's there, but on the outside, it looks real pretty. And other of us, it's like a train wreck. We're still not entirely certain why we're in here. No matter what your life has looked like, There is no one on the planet who by nature knows their right hand from their left. No one. We are stuck in our independence. But Jesus came and died for us while we were sinners. While we hated him. God had compassion on us while we hated him. God has compassion on us because we're stuck. We're stuck in our independence. We're stuck in our bondage. We're stuck in our guilt. We're stuck in our shame. In our isolation. Which means that we never deserved him to chase us. And we never will. Our heart for mission must stem from that truth. No one deserved God's compassion any more or any less than I do. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. And so if you're here this morning. And you've thought for the longest time. And maybe... Maybe you're in here because you're hoping you can make things different, but the nagging doubt in the back of your mind is this. There is no way a holy God could have compassion on you.
The fact that you're in here right now is proof that he does. Look to Jesus because it's in him that your hope is found. Not in, not in your ability to clean things up because you can't, I can't, you're out of it. But in him. And if you're here this morning and your heart for mission is dried up, which my guess would be would like be the vast majority of us. If your heart for mission is dried up because you have believed the lie that you are more deserving of God's compassion than others, Jesus is chasing you right now. Do you have a right to be angry at the grace I show others? Return to Christ. See how awesome is His grace for us. And then, as you go from this place, look up to see a great city that God has compassion on, and that he's calling us to go to. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that you would meet us during this time right now as we pray, whether we lean more towards Jonah or the Ninevites. And I know for a fact that both are in this room right now because you promised that that's where your church is always going to be. So whether we lean more towards Jonah in our self-righteous independence or more towards the Ninevites in our self-determined independence, I pray that you would meet us. You would give us repentance. And that just as you spoke to Jonah in persistence and tenderness, never, never ceasing to confront us with our need, but always offering your grace, I pray you do the same right now to us. I pray that you would make Holy Cross into a place where our hearts are warm to the mission that you sent us on, that our hearts are warm to our city, to our community, that we wouldn't hesitantly go as Jonah did because we've tried everything else to keep you from nagging us. We would go in joy because it is out of joy that the church multiplies. And so, Lord, I pray you would work this in us. That you would lean us into the truth that we'll look to next week. That, Lord, this mission is, is for nothing less than reclaiming the world for yourself. And give us grace to follow you in this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.